All right, today I'm going to start a message that I'm going to finish up next week um, and preach just a mini little two-week series here. And um, I'm excited because every time I read this story in Scripture, I am amazed at the grace of of God. I see God take this man who we're going to be talking about and save him by grace and then transform him into this amazing and fantastic apostle who would go on to write two-thirds of our New Testament that we hold as being tr- the truth in the Word of God. And the truth is, this gentleman, his name was Saul, was so such an unlikely candidate to be used by God. He was a man who was feared and hated by all believers. He did everything in his power to destroy the name of Jesus. Yet God reached down in his grace and took this man from where he was and used him in a dynamic and powerful way. And I believe he wants to do the same thing with you and I. I love this message precursoring our growth track messages because I really feel like the next five weeks are going to be a very powerful time in the presence of God. And so when we look at Saul, who would become Paul, and we read his testimony and we learn about his life, we're tempted to think that, like when we read read the New Testament, we read all of his writings and his books, we're we're tempted to think that he's some kind of picturesque or super saint, if you will. And we think, well, we look at him and we read his words and we feel like there's no possible way God could use us or use me like he did Paul. And so today the question that we're going to talk about and we're going to hopefully answer today is, can God use my life? Can God use my life? And so I'm going to answer that question this morning by taking a few minutes to look at the life of Paul and show you just a couple of obstacles that seem to be in the way of his serving God. We're going to be in two simple passages of Scripture. Our, our message is going to come from two passages of Scripture in Acts chapter 9. If you have your Bible or your device, you can open it up and turn to that. It will also be on the screen for you to see. But in Acts chapter 9, in verse number 1 and 2, the Bible says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them both men and women back to Jerusalem in chains. Sounds like a really cool dude, doesn't it? Man, this is, this is a guy, yeah, I want to have coffee with this guy, right? I want to sit down and talk to the guy who, who was uttering threats with every breath and, had, and was eager to kill God's people. It's, it's interesting. A couple of the words I want to highlight before I get started into the message that I have for you is, is and this is what I like to do with Scripture, is break it down and, and understand it in, in a more deep and, 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 and powerful way. Is there's, there's two words right there in that first verse that are really interesting when he says, every breath and eager. With every breath that he had, he was full of eagerness, of vigor, of passion, if you will, to kill Christians. I mean, I think about our lives, and I think about what we are eager for, and what, we, what we'll burn every breath in our lungs for, and his were to kill God's people. And then he says, so he went to the high priest, and he said, and then looking at verse 2, a couple more things I want to point out, he 
he requested letters addressed to the synagogues. So he said, God, here's, here's, here's what I want. I'm going to send letters to all the temples, the synagogues, to the religious people to say, do whatever you can, cooperate with us, and arrest any followers of the way. I love that, that it, um, in the New Living Translation, says, it says, of the way, and the way being capitalized, because Jesus said that he was the way and the truth and the life, right? And so they said, anybody who is following the way that Jesus mapped out, we want them arrested, and we want them brought here in chains. What a interesting person for God to choose to use to ultimately reach what would become us. Our salvation, yes, afforded to Christ and and crucified on the cross, but it was first preached to the Gentiles by the Apostle Paul. Without his preaching to the Gentiles, without his preaching to the churches in all the areas that we, that we can see in Scripture, Thessalonica, Galatia, and Corinthians, without that gospel, there would be no Christianity in the United States of America today. Yet he started in this way. And so there's two thoughts, only two thoughts I'm going to share with you this morning. You've got to fill in the blank sheet. There's a couple of blanks on there. There's, I'm going to, we're going to get into some practical stuff as well this morning. But there's two thoughts I want to share with you. The first one being very simply, your past condition is not an obstacle. Your past condition is not an obstacle. We oftentimes look at, and when we hear messages or we see people working or doing great things for God's glory, we oftentimes disqualify ourselves based on our past, the things that we've done. And I don't mean just like pre-Jesus. You know, I got a a pre-Jesus past that we're not going to talk about today because I don't have time for that, and I really don't want to send you all running just yet. But I got a pre-Jesus past, but that's not even what I'm talking about. I'm talking about even my past yesterday. The doubt that I might have had in my heart or the anger, the bitterness or the frustration or how I allowed that to creep into my mindset or my attitude. I'm talking about my past, which is every minute behind my current present situation. It's not just my pre-Jesus, although we put a lot of it on that. How many of you would say... I've got a pretty sorted past before Jesus. How many of you say, I was pretty much a hellion before Jesus, if you will? I, I, absolutely. I know some of y'all was born saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost, but I, I, I wasn't quite born that way. I was born another type of way and lived another type of life. So we all have this pre-Jesus condition, but your past is not an obstacle when it comes to God using you. I mean, look at Paul's. Very right there in verse 1. Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. See, this being written in the book of Acts is reflecting upon what Paul, has already, what Paul had done. And so, according to Paul's own testimony, let's look at some of that, that sordid past We just read that he was guilty of trying to do everything he could to put Christianity to death. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, Paul tells us a little more about his path, that he was a murderer. He was the man, he was a man to be envied, but internally he was as wicked as ever there was a man to walk this earth. 
religiously. And now think about it. Paul was a religious scholar. He was high up in the religious Pharisee hierarchy. So he wasn't just this random, horrible human being who took a wrong path. He, he was doing this all in the name of what he believed to be righteous. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, he gave his approval and even watched as the people stoned and murdered Stephen, who walked with Jesus. He watched with approving eyes. He was the one who guarded the clothing of those who stoned this preacher. He has a, a pretty sordid past. And so let me tell you, everyone in this room this morning who's hearing this, your past is not an obstacle to God's future work that he has for you. So something, see, there's something, one of the things I boast about Relevant Faith Church, which includes you, is the number of people who serve God in some capacity physically in this church. You know, it really is amazing when you see a church of this size, anywhere from 80 to 100 people on a weekly basis, when you see a church of this size having the impact in a community that it has. That it has. There are churches two and three and four and ten times our size that don't have the impact in their communities that this one has. And that's because there is a large number of people, percentage-wise, who get on board and jump in and serve. That's why we talk about these different things like serving at the school. And, and honestly, I would actually ask, and it sounds like a stretch for some of you, but I would ask that you, everybody gets a lunch break. I would ask that somebody say, I'm going to take my lunch break to come read to a third grader. Because I tell you what, it's kind of sad with some of the situations going on in school to see the level that some of them are at. But I digress from that because that's not the message today. But the, uh, the whole idea of this this past keeping us from having impact in the kingdom is something that's just, it's something that's, that's made up in our minds and enforced by our insecurities and the devil who tries to tempt us in that way, which I'll talk about that in just a few moments. But that past is not an obstacle. And I don't mean it's not an obstacle that keeps you from volunteering and, and filling out a registration form at a back-to-school bash. That's fantastic. That's many hands making light work. I'm, what I'm talking about is here. Take this microphone and preach the gospel. Your past does not disqualify you from that. Your past is not an obstacle for God to use. And so regardless of what you've done before, regardless of what you've done since you received Jesus as your Savior, it, it, all those things in the past, they matter no more. Yes, there might be some consequence and there might be some challenges that you would face, but you're going to face them whether you're serving Jesus or not. I figure let's do it with Jesus. It's a little bit easier to handle. But when he saved you and he washed your past away forever, it was just that. It was washed away. It was in that moment you were made brand new. The Bible calls it a new birth. So that you are new, the old has passed away. That word passed away literally means tossed in a place and location where it's never to be remembered again. Yet the problem is there are three records of your past, and these are in your notes as well. There are three records of your past. The first record is the record you carry in your mind. We carry this record of our past in our minds. I know all the things that I did in my life, and I, and, I, and I have that in my mind, and I recall that from time to time just to thank God and praise God for where I've been. But every once in a, in a, in a blue moon type time, something from my past will creep into my mindset and then automatically start to think, well, 
can I keep doing what I'm doing right now based on that? You know, that, that insecurity, that moment that comes. So there's a record that you carry in your mind. There's a record that is carried by those who know your past. There's a record by people who, who uh, people that know your past. They carry this record of who you are. I remember when I first gave my life to Christ and I started preaching the gospel, the people that I grew up with back in New York were like, wait a minute, what? You're a what? You do what? And all they could think about was all the things that I had done. And I tell you, it was sorted. So, and they knew what the sort was. And so they're looking at like that, that and that. They don't seem to make sense together. And then that's like in a jovial way, but there are other folks in your lives that, that will look at your past and say, well, who do they think they are? What makes them so special that they can do that? And the third record of your past is the one that's carried by Satan. Satan is a very real, real figure in Scripture. He's not a figment of our imaginations. He's not some metaphor for something else. He is legitimately real. The Bible says that he roams the earth seeking whom he may devour, whom he may destroy. And he's got a record of your past. And he's the one that every, anybody ever feel like that? Anybody ever get to that space? Things are, seem to be moving fairly well in life and then all of a sudden something just wham, and it just smacks you upside the head. You feel like you just got blasted on the side of the head with a Louisville slugger. And you start to think, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. I should have known better than to think that I could do this. Everything I used to do, now this, and it's just all way out of proportion. He will throw that past at you all the time, and he will use people in your life to do it. He will use your family. He will use your parents. He will use your children sometimes. He's seeking whom he may devour, who he can keep disconnected from God so that they make no impact. He don't care that you love Jesus. That don't bother him. It's when you start telling people that you love Jesus over a microphone or you start telling them at your workplace, or you start confessing that over your home, and you start pleading the blood of Jesus over the safety of your home, and you start demanding things of your home, and of your children, and of your family, and of yourselves, now the devil's like, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. No, we were good when you weren't making an impact. We were good when you were just kind of floating around and, and showing up every once in a while and not really doing anything to impact anybody else's life, but now, wait a minute, you think you're going to come in here and do something Help change someone else's life. Well, hold up a minute. I got, I got to help you remember some things about yourself. That's how the devil works. That's how he works in our lives. Throughout scripture, God used so many people in spite of and even after their greatest failures. Let me just highlight a few of them if I can for you for a moment. Peter preached his greatest message and had his greatest ministry after he denied Jesus. This man walked with Jesus and then he denied him, not once, not twice, but three times. How many know some of us are built a little bit more stubborn than others, right? Peter three times denied this Jesus. And in my, uh, the part that I find to be comical about the whole thing is he ran from what theologians believe to be about an 11-year-old girl. 
That's who was challenging him. And he ran, denied Christ. Yet, fast forward to the story of Christ's resurrection and his appearance to his believers and the sending of his Holy Spirit. Peter got super righteous after that. Preached the gospel and 3,000 were saved and added to the church that day. His greatest moments in life and ministry took place after he had failed epically. Look at Moses. Moses was a murderer. He was a murderer. He threw a dude off the side of a mountain. And then God said, let me, sh- let me appear to you as a burning bush and say, hey, go set my people free. Wait a minute. What? Homeboy killed people. Samson, he sinned against God in such a dramatic fashion, yet he killed more Philistines at the end of his life than he did in his entire life. Samson was the the giant of faith known for doing battle for, for Israel and killing Philistines, who were Israel's major, major threat to survival. Read the story, it's pretty dramatic. I'd love, to see, I'd love to see a modern day with modern technology movie made of Samson in that battle with the jawbone of a donkey. I'd love to see that in modern cinema. Abraham lied. He lied and then on top of it, he chose another woman to try to make God's will take place. Yet he is the father of generations. Are you getting the, tr- the, the trend here? Jacob was a deceiver. He deceived his own brother out of his birthright, yet he was changed from Jacob to Israel when he wrestled with God. See, we we have this thought process that says my past somehow excludes me, and not just my pre-Jesus past, but my past while I was walking with Jesus, because in some way, shape, or form, that makes us all a hypocrite. Can I help you out for a second? Welcome to Relevant Faith Church. I'm Mike Warmer. I'm the lead pastor of Relevant Faith Church, and sometimes I'm a hypocrite. Yeah, nobody likes that. Wait a minute. What are you talking about, Pastor? Each day I fall short of God's glory. My intention is to love him and serve him, but sometimes, sometimes I fail. That's okay, right? It's okay to admit that? Is it okay for you to come to a church where the pastor sometimes fails? Well, I'm glad two of you will be here with me. But your past condition is not an obstacle for God. Number two, the second thought I'm going to have for you this morning is simply this, your present circumstances are not an obstacle for God. Your present circumstances are not an obstacle. Look at what Paul was doing in verse number two when God called him. He said he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, he didn't, he didn't discriminate both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. This was what he was on his way to do when he met Jesus. Those were his present circumstances when he met Jesus. He was on his road, on his way to Damascus to find believers to arrest and to kill. He was filled with nothing but hatred and wanted nothing more than to completely destroy Christianity. And in spite of this, God changed this man and used him for his glory. More sermons are preached on Paul's writings than even Jesus' writings. It's not that's a bad thing. It's it's, it's just a thing. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. It's easy. I preach a lot of what Paul wrote. Now, granted, what Paul wrote is inspired by the Holy Spirit, so it's all Jesus' writing anyway. 
But I have to remind you that regardless of the present circumstances you're in, God can do the same thing with you. He can call you out of that and use you in a great way. Matter of fact, I would submit to you that he can use you while you're in the middle of it. And again, the Bible is filled with this kind of story. Let me, let me give you a few more, a few more backgrounds of, of, of people. The, the, God used Moses, who was 80 years old when God called him into the ministry. He was 80. For our older saints here, God ain't done with you yet. He ain't even close to done with you yet. Public speaking was not his thing, according to Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. He said, I'm not eloquent of speech. Uh, he, he had a stuttering problem. Can you imagine someone with a stuttering problem preaching? God don't, the present circumstance, God don't have anything to do with. He was full of fear, according to Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. He was actually, and, he, and this might ring true in some of your lives, and it did with mine in the very beginning of my journey. He was actually opposed to God's plan in Exodus chapter 4, thir- verse 13. Read it. We hold Moses as his giant, but he was actually opposed to God's plan. He's like, nah, God, I'm good. I'd rather not do that, that's for sure. I don't think that's a good plan. Anybody ever say that to God before? Don't lie. Don't lie. My hand's all the way up here. I I told God, God, I don't think that's such a good plan right now. Just letting you know. Yet in spite of this baggage, God was able to use him for his glory. There's this obscure story in Matthew chapter 5, the first 20 verses, that's, or Mark chapter 5, sorry, the first 20 verses for you to study on yourself. It's really interesting. It's a man, the Bible, called the demon-possessed man. Old Testament called him the demoniac. Oh, not the Old Testament, the uh, King James Version calls him the demoniac. He was feared by everyone. Like anyone who he came around, they were scared of this, brother. They're like, ooh. Now, granted, anybody who's got that many demons running around in him and starts throwing stuff up, you get a little nervous. But Jesus took this man full of demons and set him free. He set him free. It's a funny story, too, to watch what the demons ended up doing. It's, I don't, like I said, I don't have time to preach all these stories. Great for, great for Bible study on your own. But he set him free, and this man said, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. In the midst of being full of demons, God sets him free and then says what? Here, go preach. Go preach. That's what he told him. And so he went to 10 towns to share what God did, for the, did with him and did for him. Come on, think about it. When this man walked into the town, you think that they were ready to hear the gospel preached from him? They knew who he was. They knew he had all these demons running around inside of him. They're like, nah. But he went and preached. Second, Second Kings chapter 7 verses 1 through 10 tells a story, another obscure story about four lepers who became the saviors of Jerusalem. Lepers who were completely outcast from society. They were still in the midst of their condition of skin falling off. And they saved an entire nation from death and famine. The book, this book, is full of unlikely stories of unlikely people doing unlikely things. And the God who is in this Bible is the same God that is with you every day of your life today. I don't know about you, but I'm definitely an unlikely story 
doing an unlikely thing in my life right now. Nobody in my life would have ever imagined this. Just like I'm sure there are things that you are doing that nobody in your life would have ever imagined you doing. So what I'm hoping that you get to see this morning is that your present circumstances didn't catch God by surprise. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13, he knows everything about you. It's another one of your blanks if you're tracking with us. He knows everything about you. Everything that there is to know about you, he knows. After all, scripture says that before you were even born, he was knitting you in your mother's womb. He was putting together this wonderful creation. According to Job chapter 23, verse 10, he knows where you are. Yeah, he knows when you're late to church. He knows when you rolled over and just hit the snooze and said, yeah, I'm not going to go to church today. He knows when you're in the club, when you should be in his house. He knows when you're tossing back maybe a couple too many drinks in the name of anxiety and frustration and stress when you really should be drinking the living word. He knows where you are. He knows what you're doing. He knows what you're thinking. And whether you serve him or not doesn't change those two facts. You can choose to run from God all you like. He still knows who you are and he knows where you are. And he still can use your life if, there's an if to this, if you yield it to him, if you give it to him. So we're going to make it practical with a couple of quick thoughts and then I have, I'm going to ask, ask you to think about a couple of quick questions as we end. So let's make this practical for a few minutes. This is what I like to do. I like to take the gospel of God's word and I like to make it practical for our lives today, which I am going to steal that woman's phrase and say we can take our theology and make it into our reality. I love that. And so it's now mine. I'll give her credit for the next couple of weeks, but after that, it becomes mine. Come on, that's how it works. I heard someone say this and then Ah, it was wonderful. Then you give them a name, and then you said, oh, a friend of mine said this, and I once heard someone say this, and then you just say it, and it's yours. It's okay. There's nothing new under the sun anyway. So let's make this practical. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 is how we're going to make this practical. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. You have to understand that in order to give him an acceptable sacrifice, you have to realize there's an unacceptable sacrifice as well. But let us give him an acceptable sacrifice, which is our bodies, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So worship... In scripture, it, it really isn't about dancing and shouting hallelujah and lifting your hands. I mean, there's a portion of that you can find in, 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 the, in the psalmist. David said he would dance before the Lord and he would lift hands in the sanctuary. These are all things that are part of the acts of worship. But the truest act of worship is right there. He said, let my body be a living and holy sacrifice. This is truly the way to worship him. Then verse 2, this is... This is how you want to see God use your life. And I don't mean necessarily, you may not want to preach. 
I didn't want to preach when I started this process. You may not want to do that. You may want to just be there for someone. You may want to just be able to make an impact. I know, I believe everyone in this room wants to make an impact in someone else's life. I do. I believe that with all my heart, even if you'd say, no, you don't. I think you're just lazy. But verse two, this is how we begin that process. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into the new person by changing the way you think. Man. See, I think I had all of you until that moment. I think everybody was like, yes, use me, God, use me, God, use me, God. Oh, wait a minute, I got to change the way I think? You had me up until that moment, Pastor. And if I still got you, if I do, if I still have you, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Understand, you can't know God's will without changing the way you think. Not my words, not my process, not my, not, I didn't design it this way. I'm just telling you what the designer said. The original intention of this whole thing is to change the way you think so that you can know what God's will is. But we are so wrapped up in what we think, and what we think, we think we're right about what we think. Man, I, I don't know about you, but I, I've, I've walked away from some conversations with some folks, and my, my, the last thing I would think about that person as I walked away, Lord Jesus, please help the way they think. Oh, I don't get it. Makes me want to bash my head violently against a tree somewhere because I just don't comprehend it. But then I think about it and say, wait a minute, you know what? You at one time had some pretty stupid thinking too. And that's when I realized, yep, and God used me in spite of it. So there, as we wrap up this message and we wrap up this idea of what, how God can use us in the midst of our past and our present situation and understanding that we're to not copy the behavior and customs of this world. It's real simple. I mean, think about it. What in this world is customary to this world? What behavior is customary to this world? Yeah, you shouldn't do that. It's sin. It's customary in this world to all, like people take Bible things and say, oh, well, it's all things in moderation. Well, no, that's really not how that works. There's a whole nother part of that scripture that says, those things that lead you to sin shouldn't even be done in moderation. Those things that are even viewed as sin shouldn't even be done in moderation. Those things that other people could trip up because they see you doing are sin. You know, you hear the common phrase, this is a worldly phrase, you do you, right? You do you, I'm going to do me. And if I'm doing me, then it doesn't make a difference what you do. I don't care about what you do. And I don't really care about what I do because it's, I'm doing what I need to do for me. Well, if what I need to do for me causes you to trip up, then guess what? I'm in sin. Yeah, it's that simple, guys. And I know that's not good preaching. I know it's like, oh, I don't want to hear that because now, now I got to think about the things that I say. I got to think about the things that I do. I got to think about where I am. Yeah, you do. Unless, of course, you don't really want to be used by God. Unless, of course, you don't want to know his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And at that point, just do whatever you like. But there are a few questions that as we wrap this up, worship team, if you could come and get set, we're going to close with this. There's a few things that, I, that I, I feel like need to be considered as we wrap up these thoughts. I just got four questions that I want you to answer. 
This is a quiz for you. There's some, there's some blanks on the bottom if you want to write a few thoughts down. You can. Some of these questions might seemingly be obvious. Or the answers might seemingly be obvious. But to be honest with you, they're anything but obvious even though that's what they're going to sound like. But number one, the first question, the very first question that all of us need to ask ourselves pretty much on a regular basis is very simply, are you really saved? I'm not asking the question to pass judgment. I'm asking the question because, you know, Jesus said it was good for us to test ourselves. Paul said it was good for us to test our faith, to see that we are in the faith. It's good for us to know this, not are you a good person, because that doesn't matter. Not if you've been baptized, because at the end of the day, that doesn't really matter. Not if you're a church member, because at the end of the day, that doesn't really matter. But are you truly saved? Have you truly accepted the Lord into your heart? Have you truly said, God, this is your life. Jesus, thank you for forgiving me and cleansing me from my sin. This is your life. You lead it the way you see fit. That's what being saved is. Are you truly in that condition? And I don't mean, because so like, you don't, you're not answering this question in public for me. You're answering this question in private for him. Number two, are you fully surrendered? Is all of you on the altar of Jesus? Is there anything that you have held back that you're currently holding back? Maybe, and here's the biggest one that struggle, the biggest struggle that challenges people in their walk of faith is unforgiveness. Who have you not forgiven in your life? Because I tell you right now, you can't be fully surrendered to God if you have unforgiveness in your heart. Everything must be His. Everything. Number three. So are you saved? Really saved? Are you surrendered? Number three. Are you available You ever try to sit down with someone? Say, let's get our calendars together. Are you available this day? No, I'm busy that day. Are you available? No, I'm busy. No, I'm busy. No, I'm busy. And that's all you get is, no, I'm busy. No, I'm busy. I, I get that. Like, there's friends and pastors and people, and I'm like, hey, let's go and have coffee this day. Oh, well, I really can't that day. I've got this and this and this and this. And how about we do this? Oh, no, I can't on that. And I'm just like, bro, you're too busy. You're not even available. What are, what are we doing? If we're not available... To one another, what are we even doing? Much less, are you available to God? No, God, I'm busy today. I got my kids got volleyball, my son's got basketball, they've got Girl Scouts, they've got Boy Scouts, they've got Robotics Club, they've got all these things that kids are doing because they're they're doing a ton of stuff. So I'm really not available to talk to you that day. How about, God, you and I make an appointment for, let's say, Tuesday at 9.30 p.m., and I can give you to about 9.45. Are you available to be used by God? It's one thing to say, oh, here I am, God. Lord, use me, use me, use me, but I'm really only available Tuesday and Thursday for about an hour each day. Are you available or is your life so cluttered with everything that you do that there's nowhere for God to get in and use you? And the last question is this. Are you willing to be used? You know, it sounds like they're the same question, but they're really not. 
Because I can tell you right now, when I first ventured off into this journey of ministry that God had called me on and away from traditional and secular versions of employment and called me into ministry full-time as vocation, I know I can tell you for a fact I was saved. I can tell you for a fact that for the most part, I was fully surrendered. And what I wasn't fully surrendering, God was working on already. And I can tell you for certain I was available. But I wasn't really willing in the beginning. I was like, yeah, I'm good. I make money. I'm, my family's, man, we got stability. We've got comfort. We've got all these things. And my perspective of pastors was like, they poor. They broke. I can't be, I can't be poor and broke. Been there, done that. Can't do it again. I wasn't really willing. Because here's the thing you have to understand about God. He will not force you to serve him. He's not you or me. As a father with my son, when he wants to act a fool and he don't want to come to dinner, which is never because the boy eats everything in the house. But if he don't want to come, I'm grabbing him by his arm. I'm dragging him to the table. I'm sitting him down and say, eat what's in front of you right now. That's dinner. God's not like that. He's not forcing you to do anything. At the end of anything, you may wish he had. You may very well wish he had forced you. But he's not that way. He won't force you. You must come to a place where you are willing to allow Jesus to use you. All of you. That thing that's inside of there that you don't want to talk about, that brokenness that's deep, deep, deep down inside, he wants to use that. He wants to use that. And I, I, I'm going to share a two-minute testimony that's so, so, so much longer than this. But where is it? Come here. Come here. This is Rebecca Buswell. I have known her for 10-plus years. She's our, her and her husband are our worship leaders here. A little over a year ago, the words that she spoke in worship this morning about her friend's lost child would never have been spoken out of her mouth. Ever. She lost a child. And that, that pain is still there. It's still hurting. It's still painful. But she's, God has used her and has used that situation because of the very simply she surrendered that to God. She made herself available and now she's willing to allow God to use that area, the most painful thing that's ever happened in her life. God's using. That's what I'm talking about. And I will be, I'll be the first to say this young woman, whoo, the, 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 the amount of faith that is rising up in her, and she's not even close to where God wants to take her. And I'm excited about that personally as her pastor and as her friend. But she's not even where God wants to take her yet. But just that a willingness to step out and allow God to use the most painful thing that God's, that's ever happened in her life has set her free. And, have, and by being in the same environment, you too have the ability to be set free when you hear people's testimony and they use that to say this is what God wants to do thank you for coming up here sweetie that's the short version because it's so much more and deeper than that let's give you the highlights 
If the answer to any of these questions is no, then Jesus cannot use you until those things are taken care of by his grace. Even all those stories that I read to you and that I shared with you, the one thing they all had in common is they all surrendered to Jesus. Paul, yes, as horrible as he was, that road to Damascus, that meeting with Christ that blinded him and that continued his journey until he met Ananias and began and got his sight back and began to preach. He submitted to and surrendered to Jesus. There's the one thing they all have in common is they all surrendered to God. Without that, he can't use you. Now, he might use some things you say and some things that you do to impact some people around you, and that's because God will use a rock if necessary. He'll call a, cause a donkey to speak. And I look at my life and say, I must be somewhere between a rock and a donkey because I'm, it's working. So he's not a respecter of persons in the way that he, he's going to make cause to happen what he wants to cause to happen regardless of who is responsible for you being used. But if you really want to see God use you, use your life, set you free, and bring you to a place where you're having an impact on people's lives, yes to all four of those questions.